The following program is not appropriate for young humans or the easily offended. We trust your judgment. Canadian Pirate Cast is filmed before a live studio audience. Our backs are sore from sailing all day. So, Mark Ruffalo loves trees, apparently. How can anyone not love trees? Fuck trees. <laughs> I don't know, I just like being country. If it weren't for trees, we wouldn't have this boat. That's true. If it weren't for trees, we wouldn't also have life. So, I guess that's a thing. I'm I'm joking. I, I'm being very... I'm joking, obviously. I love trees. I'm just... <laughs> I think it's just funny whenever there's something that's so nice and lovely. I always think of it as a, of it as a funny joke. When there's something so nice and lovely, and you're like, fuck that thing! Like the, I like the juxtaposition of that. Where obviously, no, I don't feel that way. I just like, you say the opposite. Oh, you contrary. Because I think I'm hilarious. Uh, I don't like being a contrarian without reason. I would like to say if I, if I, if I don't do something because of the norm, I have a solid reason for it. I don't own a microwave because I don't have the space and I just use an oven instead. I'm not, so I happen to be a contrarian, but I have a logistic, I have a, I'm a cook, so there's a reason for it. But I get, I, I get criticized for that, for being, I've been called a contrarian for not having a microwave. I don't have a microwave. But it was my, so that's my one friend, though, who's like, he, well, my, I, this is a friend I have who, like, shout out to him, he knows who he is, if he's listening to this, but he, he, he is a contrarian straight up, just for, like, a lot of the sake of a lot of things, like, with no clear reason, except for just trying to come up with them, and I love him to death. Um, but this is one thing where he has a microwave and he just can't believe that I don't. So it's it's been an argument more than once. I think it comes up every phone call we have, which I love because I like endless arguments. Why does he care so much that you don't have one? I don't know. <laughs> it's I, I don't know. I love him to death. So welcome to Canadian Pirate Cast. I'm your host, Captain Beckham Kid, meandering as always with my thoughts and brains. Sorry, why did I say that? I'm definitely not more than one brain. I have like half of one, maybe. Sitting here with my host or co-host. Sup, it's Gummy Bear. <laughs> gummy Bear in the house. <laughs> are, are we homies now? Hydro homie. We're hydro homies. Yeah, of course we are. We're hydro homies for life. As we're drinking coffee right now. We're traitors to our cause. I guess we're pirates, though. We don't follow rules. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Speaking of not following rules, um, quick short voyage here. So, and we just want to, we're doing a different structure for our podcast today, just because I got inspired and a couple things came up. So I work a crap ton next week, and including on Canada Day. So I can't celebrate it, and I can't do a podcast or anything on that and or have it out in time on July 5th. So we have to record a week beforehand on what day is today? June 23rd. Surprise. Yes, but because in the words of Matthew McConaughey, tight time is a flat circle. We can, <laughs> we're gonna celebrate Canada Day today um, on the Canadian Pirate Cast and make a day of it. So we're gonna do this as a two part episode. Um, I don't know why, I just got inspired by this shit. And I wanted to, so we're doing a shorter, like, mainline episode where we're going to just do a quick update, a short voyage update on Ferry Creek and Bill C-10, which we'll go into greater detail on our 
next mainline episode would be, which would be after July 5th. Then we're going to do a uh, segment, our uh, segment, history segment, times before now in history to celebrate some Canadian inventions with weird things. And I kind of want to, and I'll, I'll have a bit of commentary on Canadian inventions as a whole. Then we're going to do Captain's Kitchens with Nanamo bars and how to use up leftover bacon fat with pork and bacon stew. And then that will just be our segment for our regular episode six of Canadian Pirate Cast. Then part two will be Canadian Pirate Cast at sundown. Where we will be, we're, we are going to just kind of do a food-based podcast where we're just going to do different segments on food. And I want to leave this as a bit of a surprise for anybody. But some, some philosophy, some debates, some more recipes uh, discussed. We're going to cook a big meal. We want to celebrate Canada Day, so we're going to cook a huge meal. And I started a Reddit thread on Ask Canadians What Canadians Eat for Breakfast just for more... More general commentary because I'm getting a lot of diverse answers and I love it because Canada is so all like different from all over the place and that's what I love. Um, but a general theme for the most basic thing, if you want to generalize of nation as wide as us, is hearty breakfast essentially, like a hearty breakfast with like a starch, a protein, maybe some fruit, but that's kind of like the that's kind of the, if you want to overgeneralize the one thing that every culture can probably get behind, a hearty breakfast. And even then, not all. But So in that spirit, we're going to do toast, with homemade toast, which I made from the bread recipe from last week, with an egg scramble with some vegetables, which I know is not distinctly Canadian because it's more of like a Spanish thing, but I want some vegetables in this meal because the problem with that lumberjack breakfast is there's no vegetables in there and we're eating this at night, so I want some vitamins in my food. Um, so I kept it to vegetables so that we can grow on the island, though, because these are uh, maybe not garlic. I don't know. Can, can we grow garlic? Can you grow garlic on the island? Okay, well, I don't know why we don't farm it here, then, or like in BC, then, because there's there's... No, every time I go to the superstore, there's, or, or sorry, not superstore, but grocery store everywhere, it's from either Argentina or California, or Mexico, or like, I think California or Mexico. I just don't know why we can't grow garlic. I know up. there's grocery farms. Either way. I need to go to the farmer's market, going to the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. I can figure out where that is. So, I just can't get my ship there. There's no rivers. <laughs> there's no naturally occurring rivers leading to the farmer's market. Landlocks. <laughs> Comox Valley, you land lovers, you fear the sea. Sorry. Just to pillage it. The point is, I kept it to peppers, garlic, spinach, and oh, shit burgers. Um, onions. Things that we can grow in BC, at least, as part of the Canada Day breakfast. We're doing back bacon, because it's Canadian bacon. Oh, uh-huh. And, okay, so I have some maple syrup. I don't know. I'm just like, it's Canadian bacon, but it's just... It's only called Canadian bacon by Americans. There's a story. I have a story behind that. I have a I've note in my notes for later. I explain why it's called Canadian bacon, but it's just fucking okay. back bacon. It's back bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then we're doing. Um, oh shit! There was one more thing. There's a blueberry grunt. Oh, this is amazing. So I love it. This. this is an East Coast thing, which is like it's called a blueberry grunt. And again, more details for that at the After Dark episode. But essentially, it's like blueberries cooked in a pot with um, kind of like a dumpling dough over it. But it's pretty similar to a cobbler, but where it's steamed. But it's amazing. And it's like an East Coast thing that's really cool. And yeah, so 
that'll be our uh, Canadian, super Canadian dinner time. And then after we're going to have a post discussion over breakfast philosophy and stuff like that. Post game discussion. After our, breakfast for dinner time. Yes. With vegetables. We're going to, yeah, we're going <laughs> to discuss our post meal and our feast. Uh, and then I also, we bought a bunch of Canadian candies and snacks that you can only kind of, that can, well, like not exclusively, exclusively in Canada, but you can't get them in the U.S. for funny reasons. <laughs> so I want to have a list of that shit. That'll all be later tonight. So please tune in for that. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I explained this. I feel like we talked about this last night going there. I feel like we discussed this on the phone. And this is, you're looking at me like it's brand new knowledge. We didn't talk last night. Oh, but we would have talked about it on the first night though, because I last night I was just plan I was getting I was information gathering, but I told you the structure of this on on the day before Monday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. We're gonna offer transition now as a train going transitioning now into short voyage. Shoveling all day. Are you ready to go on Fairy Creek or do you want me to start on Beale Hills in town? Go ahead with C10. Uh, Bill C10 is not very detailed essentially, but there's been more information released out, so I'm going to do a thorough reading of the contents of it and what will be changed with it for, so I can be informed about this. But is a general thing when you're Googling it, most news outlets are kind of agreeing upon that being rushed through and it passed through. Shit, oh, fuck it. I'm having a brain fart. I'm forgetting what the first part it passed through on, but it still has to pass the second part of government. It has to pass through the Senate as well, which is is the next thing for it to fully be passed into law. Um, and again, I want to look into be more. I I just found this out last night because a lot of kind of we're just coming off the weekend and uh, plan this Canada Day thing like in two days, so I didn't get to fully catch up on things happening in Bill C10, but. It's basically agreed upon that, yes, being rushed through the government, which is never really a good sign, in my opinion, as a general thing where any, I think any government policy passing through shouldn't be worried about having like a discussion or being very clear with the public over what's happening with that. And it's being moved through very fast and kind of with, like, I don't think everybody, I don't think the majority of the public will be on board with it if they fully understood what it, what it actually means for the internet. And for like what's mm -hmm. like where how how that's going to use up government resources. That being said, that'll be left more for another episode for the next episode or the next next major episode. Serious, sorry. And then the in the meantime, I've opened up a thread on Ask a Canadian over how Canadians feel about Bill C ten. Uh, my intention is not to fuck around or troll anybody. I want to just have an honest discussion about what, how people feel about it. If like they fully understand kind of what these things mean and what, how it affects us as Canadians, how we can Canadians and how we consume our content and how we create our content. Because again, I just see it as a thing where it'll just push. I think all media is important, large and small, like all media makes mistakes and it's all very in reliability, but it's all important because it's how you fully grasp an issue. You read it from you read it from a major outlet, a minor outlet, and a fringe outlet, and then you get a kind of rough idea of what roughly happened, and that's kind of a good thing, and and that's better for understanding kind of what's happening in anyway what's happening in our society. 
that's like more of a philosophical thing as to why I care about this. Sorry, that was a tangent that's not actually um tied to any news mm-hmm. thing. That's just my opinions. Uh, however, the yeah, and from what I skimmed from in the bill, I think the first thing that popped off to me because it just stood in my mind was a freaky thing. But essentially, one it seems that once you're you've got the CanCon um title essentially or classification then you're under their guidelines you can't break any of their rules obviously which makes sense uh, as a contract like that but then it says like if you break out of their guidelines depending on the uh, on it you can be fined and it doesn't like clarify an amount of money or what that what that punishment would entail and i don't know if that's an update or a new if that's a new thing or an old thing which is what i want to figure out but it just stands out as any kind of okay punishment without clarification what that is for a crime of breaking of like talking about something you're not supposed to talk about what specifically what the clarification was for like discussing a story the government says no don't do that yeah and again for anybody that's going to jump on the train and be like oh there's sometimes like you know child protection and shit like that that's fine i understand like that's not discussed not openly discussing certain stories like that or even there's stories of like terrorist attacks of bombings that get thwarted but they don't get broad news spreadage because you don't want to teach terrorists how they fucked up. Oh yeah. For so sure. there is, there are lots of reasonable reasons to like do that. So again, I understand some new censorship to that regard. Right. I think about the context though, in individual citizens in like instances between citizens doing things to each other and how the government reacts to it in things with like the fairy Creek thing between a private business and private citizens getting, having a fight with each other over how the trees should be dealt with. Or in the case with this family, again, being that they the child doesn't deserve to be scrutinized, and I don't think their, de- their public details, like their private names and details need to be released to the public. But the story itself, again, involving if it's the father, is the one like being punished and having all this kind of stuff about it. Being punished and having the charges brought against him, then that should be publicly discussed because it's the father, you know what I mean? Uh, but that's again for that's that could get more into discussion about like uh, the lines for that kind of thing, which is not what I'm talking about in general. Sorry. Either way, I uh, yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm more though on like the freedom of information in general. I understand the reasoning for withholding it, but I do think that you it becomes a fine line, and that's why I just like to be more aware of these things. And the, again, the big thing that worries me with Bill C-10 in general, this is me, just more of an opinion thing, sorry, but is it's, it's so wide in its power grab. And that's always just like a, okay. Mm, but that's that's what gives me pause for concern. Anyway, though. And then quickly going on to Fairy Creek, Creek though. So, uh, yeah, uh, update on Fairy Creek, and I think I'm going to just kind of, like, regularly do that from now on until, like, things change. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because um, it's not the main focus right now. Of... I, 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 <laughs> I don't want it to be the main focus every single every single episode. But like I would like to keep doing updates, is what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Fairy Creek blockade, um, Facebook and Instagram page, uh, they update basically every day. Um, 
what's going on? Uh, the last one of the last updates I saw before checking today was uh, cops removing people from trees with cranes. Yeah, which is considered dangerous. Super dangerous. <laughs> I'm sorry because it's in the I like okay well maybe laugh I don't mean to be laughing at them because I'm ter- I'm terrified for them but they calm the fairy creek commented post in the commented was like this is again the, the labor safety board says this is unsafe means to get people down and I was like you don't say <laughs> like Surprise. I like the I like that we have to cite that like the logic of that the labor safety board has to clarify it's not safe to rip people out of trees from a crane when they don't want it like exactly come down from that tree. So, sorry. I just thought that struck me as... Because my brain fucks everything up. But I, I, I feel for them. Yeah, um, so yesterday there were six more arrests. Uh, with a total of 267. Um, uh, once again, I'd like really encourage people to go read read the updates because um it's honestly insane i was going to say here just shout out to the uh lady that's protesting um uh, by herself on fifth street by the uh is it okay loose park is on the left side is the other one on the right side called different name or are they both loose park sims park sims park okay so in sims park there's a lady, there's a lone lady protesting Prairie Creek with pictures of the logging train stuff and just kudos to her for giving for like just giving her totally. day to go stand out there and just like try to spread that message. Uh yeah, so and I say that as like from a slacktivist perspective, where obviously like we're not out there like protesting with her, but so kudos to her for giving up her day and and uh like devoting her day to that. Or like time in her day to do that. Um, I I might end up doing like larger segments every now and then about it. Mm-hmm. But that's just uh, there you go. That's your weekly or bi-weekly update of Fairy Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, it really sounds like the police are um are just like like they don't care anymore. Like they're not trying to be nice about it. Like they're being like they're being really unsafe with how they're trying to get people um, out. In this report from yesterday, which was June twenty second, um, they were trying to get a woman um, who was locked into a device. They were trying to saw her out and like really close to her wrist which could have you know just killed her so or like cut her hand off hmm. like what like what benefit is it like i get it like okay it was his job but like what benefit is it to them to like go that far uh well you know you know what i imagine it is that's the chain of shouting. Straight up. Oh my God. I'm not even trying to be a jokey dick about that. Seriously, no, I'm not talking about in like a literal sense. I mean in a rough sense where it's you can't shit up a ladder. Is my That's my favorite way of putting it. But essentially, so the money being lost in this project is money being lost by the government as well, I imagine. 
So the RCMP, who they are, while they are cops, they are also government. They are they're they're government cops. Mm-hmm. So they are getting cracked on by their superiors and do this. And at the same time, like it's a siege. They're all out there. They, I would be. I'd be more sympathetic. No, sorry, I wouldn't even do that. I guess I would be like, I guess I'd be more understanding of the frustration of the RCMP if these protesters were, are they, are the protesters like attacking the RCMP or being violent towards them? Nope. Then that's really, that's really saddening then. Because basically they come up like, uh, they're hip, they're just hippies. Seriously, read they're the just, page. They're coming up with these crazy contraptions and it's like really cool. So I will kind of, I, mean, I, I, I think I might do that. Oh, I might do that. I might do that today when I'm killing time in between, like, cooking shit. I just want to mm. look up these pictures because I'm interested in these jigsaw contraptions that these hippies have created. Yeah. So these, uh, they, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not. They're, they're, you know, because their hippies went to Uvix, so they're, like, really smart. <laughs> but they're also in tune with how they know how to compost. I don't even know how to compost. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, sorry. But I think that that's... Well, that's really interesting, but that's unfortunate, though, that they're being peaceful protesters, and then the RCMP is cracking down on them dangerously like that. That's that, that's concerning, because that's not necessary, and that's not proper police work. And because they're there to protect citizens. That's the first job, to protect, serve, and protect, right? Yeah. Well, presumably. I don't know, but I think that's definitely, that's definitely what it says in America. I don't know what... I don't know what Canadian RCMP says. Maybe it says serve the government first. <laughs> Let's figure that out. Um, I actually like to. I like to. Be, I like to learn more about that on a different episode. I do want to learn more about their origins of the RCMP, though, because there's a lot of people say like they're they're in their creation. The origin of them was to keep indigenous people in their in the reserves or whatever they want or the that's not what I'm thinking of. Not the reserves. Fucking is. Am I saying that right? No, why am I brain farting on this? Is it just land or reserve? Why am I yeah, I think it is reserve. Fuck me. I don't know why my brain's going with this. I just don't know if I'm messing with the, the band land. The official motto of the RCMP is Uphold the Right. Uphold the Right. So what's right? So, well, that's kind of annoying because that's like, what's right is subjective. I don't like that at all. A cannibal thinks it's right to eat people. That doesn't mean it's justice. Or or apparently, it's like, it's in French and it actually means just defend the law. But same, okay. Defend the law? Well, again, what does that mean? Who makes the fucking law? That's so, that's so bullshit. That is fucking terrible. I'm sorry. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm losing it on that shit. That is a terrible motto because that's just the law subjective. Oh dear. Like I know the principle of law is to be good and take. Okay, wait. What's the actual definition of law? Like if we actually Google law, what is the okay, definition? We're of that? way off topic. I know we are. Sorry, this is goddamn. That's go a little... Talk to a guy about. Yeah, go talk to a guy. This is a good time to cut it off anyway before we segment into time before now. Uh, tune in. Tune in on like two ten seconds. However long our transition music is. Welcome back to Canadian Podcast. Here we're going to uh, talk about times before now. Or sorry, fuck, fuck that up. Our next segment is times before now <laughs> in history. And I thought that a cool subject today because we're celebrating Canada Day uh, on the 
23rd of June is uh, Kick-Ass Canadian Inventions. Sorry, my brain just like went to a different way too because I forgot about our 4th of July joke. That's <laughs> my brain just, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So I want to talk about Kick-Ass Canadian Inventions. Um, so I have four cool inventions and inventions get like a bit murky with Canada, especially with like patents, because there are a lot of things that comes down to a lot of the inventions that are created for Canada are debated because of things that were made technically before them that are kind of like it and which things like when did it get revolutionized. So I focus on ones that are like, I think these are like the important part of it is unequivocally, unequivocally by Canadian. If I was cool. The first one is a snowblower. Well, of course. Imagine that in the country of snow and machinery, we the two melded together, creating the ice and machine propeller. Uh, fuck! <laughs> I, told, I, I was thinking I went to like ice robots there. But this was invented by Arthur Sicard. Uh, early models were invented by a few different people, and I've I have cited sources that kind of can go into like when, like what what these are. But I talked, but I, he's a Canadian and we credit him, I credit him because he completed the first machine and called it, oh fuck, okay. I'm going to butcher this because he was like French or sorry, Quebec or whatever. <laughs> I'm not even going to correct you this time. You got one last time. And La, okay. I'm just going to let it roll. La did, la did genius, it souffles el neige, it's a god. Or, in English, <laughs> oh no! I'm sorry, my brain like stuttered there on the word English for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but, um, uh, the Sakar snow remover snowblower. Yeah. <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> in both languages. So. <laughs> Right. So, um, obviously that's not emblematic of how it probably is actually pronounced in French. Feel free for anybody on earth to correct me. So, <coughs> attached, he attached the front to the front of a truck uh, with a scooper and an auger-like drive with a fan that was capable of blowing out snow 27 meters away. So these were like street plows, basically, he invented. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, has greatly increased the effectiveness of snow clearance and like therefore increased the demand for his machine because of how effective they were right off the bat. And he and so that's kind of and that was the first start of the snowblower. And then eventually, an Amer the single man snowblower that people use in their drive wise, which is not a concept that everybody knows, but depending on where you live in Canada. Or in the world, I guess, really. But essentially, that was invented by an American in Boston named William P. Murphy Jr., a high school student at the time. And he actually went on to invent, like, a bunch of other shit. Like, he actually, I think he did, like, he contributed to other, like, discoveries like that. Um, but he's not Canadian, so I'm not talking about him. <laughs> anyway, uh, a lot of Canadian inventions, though, I think I mentioned this, had a group or a variety of, like, half-predecessors that caused, like, dispute over who called firsties, I say. Uh, Charles Fernley 
created an updated process for making pulped wood paper. And that's just a shout out to Prince George's main pulp industry in my hometown. So, woo! <laughs> the next one is egg cartons. Really? Yes. And this was uh, published in the Interior News. Oh, yeah. So this dude, his name was Joseph Coyle. He, he owned, um, I think he owned his own newspaper called Interior News in Buckley Valley or Bulkley Valley. Okay. I think it's Bulkley. He, uh, yeah, so he's from Smithers in BC. Um, insert victory music. <laughs> oh, BC! Woo! That's what I remember. That's so stupid. Yeah. So, in uh, 1911, he overheard an argument between a hotel owner and a farmer about eggs arriving broken because the farmer had piled them all into like one basket for delivery. He started with a carton made of newspaper and individual slots, and he started making them by hand. And then eventually he made a machine to make them on um, like large scale. And as I grew, he patented the idea, or patented, patented the idea in 1918 as business ramped up. He eventually sold his newspaper and moved to Vancouver, put everything into his business, and then moved to cities like Toronto, Chicago, Los Angeles, setting up factories, living the pimp life. So he's like now a new person i'm gonna cite as like an awesome because he's like from bc and egg cartons are all over the world now that's pretty rad yeah if you think about it, it's a small thing but it's over the world it came from bc so Woo! uh another canadian invention which is this is like one of the major ones that a lot of people cite and this one's actually got as is kind of interesting and complicated a bit too, but it's insulin. Mm, yeah. So this is a tricky history because a lot actually led up to the in insulin use today. And I might butcher this because I'm not scientifically inclined, but I'm going to cite the sources, which are from like scientific things that know more than I do. Uh, essentially, though, it started in 1889. Two German researchers, Oskar Minikowski and Joseph von Mehring. I might be saying that wrong too. Anyway, though they they discovered <laughs> they they discovered that when the pancreas gland was removed from dogs, they developed diabetes and died like really shortly after. Oh. Uh, this is like obviously long before there were animal regulation there were regulations for how you experiment with animals. Yeah. So, but we we have insulin now, and now diabetic people don't I die. For, so. uh, it's that's the thing. That's where it gets complicated. Right. How many lives were saved? That's what's complicated. But that's not what we're talking about. So just in for context too, at that time, diabetes was known, like people knew what it was, but it was also just expected they wouldn't live long lives if they had it. They just died shortly after. Um, so in 1910, Sir Edward Albert Sharpley Schaefer suggested, suggested only one chemical was missing from the pancreas um, that caused this. Experiments had nailed down clusters of specialized cells in the pancreas. And he named this insulin. And I think it was through using various microscopes, they were able to find, like, just the kind of the chemical itself being mm -hmm. made in there. That's super cool. Yeah. And then, so Frederick Banting, da-da-da-da, is the Canadian that this is where he gets credited um, for this. <clears throat> but this is all in the back of this other prior research, which all is very important. Like, it's all... It's. I think it's all equally important in the discovery of this because it all led to it, and it was all shortly after. This was within decades of each other in the research, which is so cool about this. 
but he's the main guy credited with discovering insulin. Uh, he success he did this when he successfully extracted insulin from a dog's pancreas. Uh, colleagues were skeptical because the stuff looked like, as they quote, brown thick muck. Uh, with this though, he kept a diabetic dog with severe diabetes alive for 70 days. So they eventually made more refined insulin from cattle, which some people couldn't have because they'd have like, a reaction to it. And same with pigs. Oh. Um, and that's where insulin came from for the longest time. Where does it come from now? Uh, nowadays, there's many ways for people to get insulin that are not... Oh, crap. See, I ran over on the page. I had to move on. Shit. There's lots of like, insulin. <laughs> don't turn the page over. I'll just... Just fuck it. <laughs> just stop writing the sentence. I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> I have... It's all there in the resource. It's, here's the thing. It's all in the resource. I just... I had to cram and get a lot of shit done yesterday for content for this episode. Oh so I'm God. sorry about that. But I have... The, it's all in the... Every... It, this is by the... the it's... This is all told by the American Diabetes or, or Diabetes Association. They have this all in detail. And that's the resource I was looking and didn't have that. And I was just like, didn't want to look up a single other resource that told me how you get model, where model, modern insulin comes from nowadays. But I thought it was a, I thought the story was cool. <laughs> Let's just Google it right now then. Google I it. Don't okay. Oh yeah, exactly. That's what I then don't, don't get on my ass. I'm joking too. Okay. I'm so joking. You know, I don't care. No, I don't care. I don't know why I dropped off in there. I just kind of rushed everything. That was my failure as a host. I'm not very good at this. I'm just learning. I'm a new baby host. I'm a. I'm a. I'm just a baby boy host. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm a pathetic incel that <laughs> doesn't know what I'm doing. I. I don't even know what to say. I'm right kidding. Now. I'm not an incel, but I definitely don't know what I'm doing. That's true. I have no response. They never do. The next invention. <laughs> oh my god. Are you looking at insulin still? No. I'm... What? Okay, fine. I'll look it up on my phone in between the break and we'll cover it then. You don't have to. I know, and I feel compelled to. I don't know why I dropped off. Finish your research. Well, I feel like an idiot though, because I'm just like, why didn't I draw off? I don't know why I draw. I think I was just brushing it off because I was just trying to get get different stuff. I think that's hilarious. Me too. I think I think it's hilarious how competent I am as well. I shouldn't. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not the most competent captain. (laughs) So the next Canadian invention we have is the G suit. What's a G suit? G suit is really cool, actually. So. This is as early as 1917. There were documented cases of pilots losing consciousness due to G-lock, or yeah, G-lock, which is G-force induced loss of consciousness. Oh. So when you're flying in like fighter jets and shit like that, mm-hmm. or well, like no, the, the those hyper sorry, not fighter jets, like it's jets specifically, not right. like though, not just like airplanes. So during excessive G-force. Flying at super speeds drains blood away from the brain, causing cerebral hypoxia. Oh. And the way to think about that is, you know when you spin a glass around and the liquid stays in the bottom? Is that why people pass out on those crazy rides? 
Might be. That's because the, the mindset now, I might be wrong about this. Feel free for anybody that knows more about biology to correct me, but my mindset is that because like the Earth is round and gravity pulls downward, if you are going around the globe at a super high speed, you're eventually you're essentially a bottle that's shaking your blood down to your legs because the Earth is pulling your blood down still and you're moving at a super high speed. Whoa. And now I might be wrong, but that's just what makes me think of that. Um, so feel free for anybody to correct me, but it just makes sense, right? At flying at hyper speeds that our bodies were never designed to fly at, that just seems like that was how that would work. Um, yeah. And an interesting thing too, actually, uh, if anyone cares, your body already has a hard time pushing blood up uh, through your legs because they're closer down to the ground. So it actually, uh, the chambers that push blood upward have little locks on them so they have little doors so they push one up and then they lock it so that blood stays there and they have to push it up and lock it so oh. for all the blood light blood that goes down from your um it's harder for your body to push blood up from your feet than it is from like the rest of your body because mm -hmm. uh, it has more of that force or gravitational force something like that but anyway though that's where diabetic people actually or people that have bad circulation in their feet uh they have like the blood that's blow up because it already has a hard time and the average human being has a hard time already. Our bodies have a design in them to do that. Sorry, that's a tangent, but I thought that's an interesting thing for just as way as why uh, how our why it's important to take care of your feet so your body floods the blow up because it already has a hard time. So just take care of your feet. So sorry, back to the G the G suit though. This was first invented by Wilbur R. Franks at the University of Toronto Buntings and Medical Institute. And again, I credit him for this because he this was he actually invented this and it was used for a long time before it was updated. So I think you I credit him as like the he's a Canadian and this is a thing that helped fighter fly pilots. Uh, these devices were water-filled bladders around the legs, and two marks of them were developed. So the Mark I was used by RAF Hurricane and Spitfire Spitfire pilots. Just gotta say, those are awesome names for, for airplanes. <laughs> And uh, Mark II was used by the United States Army Air Forces and the Royal Canadian Air Pilots. Um, <clears throat> and it was eventually... Okay, so yeah, and eventually the U.S. It was a U.S. group of physiologists that designed the modern G-suit that uses air pressure to keep blood uh, flowing from the feet, or from the feet upward. See, why did I finish that one? This is what I mean. That's why it's even dumber. Like, I finished, like, okay, here's what we do for the modern G-Force. Why the fuck did I forget that? I'm shitty at this. <laughs> so, that's the last of my uh, history with friends. I have a little bit of history for Captain's Kitchen, too. And, like, we're going over to Nanaimo Bars because it's can of the day. But, yeah, so everything's kind of disjointed. Yeah. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to do. Tell people, tell your friends and family about this show. Tell us about my unprofessional charm. <laughs> uh, any thought? Any thoughts on these Canadian inventions? Because that's there's more. There are oh, more. Definitely. I just didn't like these are the ones I wanted to focus on because I thought these were interesting and in how they changed the world. Like the G suit was ridiculous if you think about it. Like fire again, fighter jet pilots. Like that's yeah. it's a widespread technology now, so to speak. And uh, that was hard up invented by a Canadian and not not really preceded by anything else. Egg cartons, same thing. And that's like not... Totally. That just no, changed the world really in a Canadian cool. way. Really cool, for sure. Yeah. The insulin though had a rich history that I didn't finish. So... <laughs> Interesting choices. Yeah. 
And yeah, I thought they were, and hopefully someone else thinks they're interesting. I thought those were the ones that were worth talking about. Then the food one we'll get into like later because that's a whole other thing. Um, my my one note for food history in Canada because there's obvious things like the Nam bars, just butter tarts, which I want to check on because that seems like that was somebody else made butter tarts before us, but maybe it's like a different type of butter tart. Butter tart. Do you know about that at all? No, I don't know about that. Okay, because there's also there's like also in the in our again our other the other half of our after at sundown podcast. Um, we will, we're going to have Canadian snacks that you can't get in the U.S. I already mentioned. So yeah, like Canada has like these weird things like that. And there's some foods too that are, I'd say more exclusive to Canada, like beaver tails. But the problem is that those are not super common outside of Ontario and Quebec. Mm-hmm. And then you also have like Donaires in the Maritimes where that's like a sweet cheese pizza, which is super not common. Like I... Because also, wait, I think we have like, we have a Donaire over here on the West Coast, but it's, that's like a Greek thing instead, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think that, I think more commonly, it confused me because like, yeah, when I was in the Maritimes, we, I had Donaire, which is like a sweet cheese pizza, which I didn't like that much. I'd probably like now more as a cook because I could like appreciate these different weird flavors more. But at the time when I was 20, I was like, oh, this is just, this is very odd. And then... I appreciate those flavors more now, huh? Yeah. Well, they also have, you know, they also have a... Uh, like, you know, kind of like <clears throat> pineapple on pizza, maybe? Oh, maybe okay. Like... Well, you want to get, if you want to get into that, that's what I was going to say as far as food inventions. <laughs> uh, Hawaii pizza was invented by a Canadian. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that... I am pro-pineapple. I hope that for his eternity, in the rest of his time in hell, he has to eat pineapple on pizza. That's what I hope for him. I bet he does, <laughs> and I bet he loves it. He made it up. So he's a sadist. I don't know. Sorry, masochist. That's wrong. Sadist yeah, like, no, inflict like pain. Because, he, because he, it doesn't. It doesn't cause him pain. Pineapple literally eats your body while you eat it. Okay, so are you saying you just don't like pineapple at all? Or... Oh, I love pineapple. Pineapple's delicious. <laughs> I thought this was just an on pizza. Issue. Oh, I love. Oh, I love. I love. I love pineapple so much. I'm just like being a dick. I'm just being a dick. <laughs> Making an argument is why it shouldn't be on pizza. Pineapple is delicious in the right context, but it shouldn't be on pizza because it's blasphemy. Delicious blasphemy. This is this is for a different thing. The the pineapple and pizza debate is for food <laughs> fights. Spoiler alert! If you want to tune into that, that's going to be it's not a headline event. So one of the we things we keep discovering more. <laughs> well, so one of the, okay. So as a spoiler for the after for sundown episode, one segment we're going to have is food fights, which we're going to have different food topics that we basically argue with. But it's not going to be some of it will be serious points, but it's really going to be silly. It's going to be same rules as uh, Stephen Fry's Q show is. It's more important to have an interesting answer than a right answer. Yeah. So, what's your last candidate of facts? Could be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to touch on this really quickly. It's a piece of Canadian history that people often that is not Canadian history that people say is. Oh yeah, what's up? Um, that we burned down the White House. We totally burned down the White House. <laughs> it was um actually the British. British Army. Canadians. Nope, the, the, <laughs> for sakes, the, um, the general leading, leading the attack that led to the, the White House burning down was, um, actually an Irish-born, um, member of the British Army. So, you're saying a Newfie Canadian burned down the White House. 
<laughs> it wasn't Canada yet, though. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait, so, okay, just to clarify, too, I'm, just, I'm, I'm being a troll, but so for clarification, so are you saying that this was before Canada, The we had the Union, essentially, or the Confederation, you would say? Yeah. So... And the the war that this was a part of was prime was specifically between the British and America. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Because yeah, that's uh no, I'm joking. That's uh. <sighs> I wonder how many people that's are aware. It. I just wanted, I just like just wanted to to let everybody know that. Well, that's a good that's a good fact though. That's an important fact to know though. I think that's I think that's a really good one because there's a lot of history like that. Like there's a lot of misconceptions over who shot down the Red Baron. A lot of people say it was a Canadian. I don't remember the name of him, but in high school I did a paper on this. How it was he was actually shot down by gunfire. He was shot down by ground fire by uh, nobody knows who. It was just an anonymous gunman on from ground fire, but it was just the you know I mean history has all these different things. Um, that's an important one, though, I think, though, because it's, like, it's, there's a lot of things Canada can it, take national pride in that just isn't one of them. It would have been really badass, but, yeah. unfortunately, it's just not true. At the same time, too, that doesn't underestimate Canada's military. Canada's military is really fucking awesome. We have a, we have a very well-structured military. Uh, that aside, though, it's, it's, like, you know, it's just important to know which things in history are worth celebrating in an awesome way. Like I said, egg cartons and jeep suits. Those are two things that we can really get behind. Same with insulin, too. Because, again, even if... Actually, what's his name again? Banting. Canadian Banting Man invented insulin. Well, like, this, like Semi discovered it, but it was a major contribution. And that's worth, like, noting. And when we get back in our next segment, I'll know how insulin is made nowadays. <laughs> uh, I think that was really a good thing, though. Thanks for teaching me that. Down the way. You're welcome. Uh... Stay tuned. Thank you for listening this far. Up I saw from shoveling all day. Welcome back to Canadian Pirates. I'm your host again, Captain Beckham Kid. And in our next segment, Captain's Kitchen! Yay! Today we're going to try Nanao Bars, because it's in spirit of Canada Day, even if it's not on July 4th. Um, and representing the island. Yes, Go Island and Nanaimo and that whole thing. And I think I have some Nanaimo art history here somewhere. So. Is it a complete history? Not a complete history. It's like, oh shit, I didn't look where insulin came from. Shit, I got sucked into Reddit. Okay, I'll, that'll be Corrections Corner. I'll just, uh, that'll, that'll be Corrections yeah. Corner. Like, and a half. I'm sorry if we wait until two weeks to find out if we have modern insulin. All so, over the place, too. Uh, today's been crazy. I'm planning for Canada Day episode. So this is a good recipe, though. This is my mom's recipe. She's uh, always made this when I was a kid. We only had it, got it like once a year. Uh, and I loved it. Uh, the only thing that changed about it in general is I did less chocolate uh, because I found like the half the amount of chocolate needed was just as good. So come here, you want to try one while I kind of run down this recipe here? Yes. So this recipe is... You will take half a cup of butter, quarter cup of sugar, one egg, and four tablespoons of cocoa. You'll mix those four ingredients together. Uh, the recipe says double boiler, um, but I did it in a different method where I melted the butter and sugar together. 
then I tempered the into the egg. Um, well, sorry, I scrambled first. You scramble the egg, and then you temper the butter, warm butter, into it. For anybody that doesn't know what tempering is, so when you pour a little bit of a hot thing of a hot liquid into an egg, into an egg mixture, because if you pour hot stuff into an egg too fastly, it'll cook the egg like thoroughly. You know, make scrambled eggs, but if you can do it slowly in like little bits, you can actually like slowly bring the egg up to it, so it'll kind of melt into your sauce or into your thing instead. So you pour a little bit of your butter sugar into the egg, whisk it a lot, and then pour a little bit more butter and sugar and whisk it a lot. And then you keep this process until you've gotten the majority of your butter and sugar whisked into your egg with it still being liquidy because you've got it a little bit whisk, little whisk, little whisk. And once you've gotten that point, then you can pour the rest of your butter in, return it, mix it up, return it or spatula it back into the pot. Then you're going to slowly heat it up until it thickens a bit. So slowly heat it up until it's like on a light, like not even just the cusp of the simmer and just let it get a little bit thick. And that's when you're going to add in two cups of graham crumbs or and one cup of shredded coconut. I used unsweetened because I felt like they're really rich already, so I didn't feel like they needed more sugar. Um, after that, you've mixed the crumbs and coconut in there thoroughly and it's all chocolate or all chocolatey and all that. Then you press it into a bake pan. The one I use is like, gosh, I don't remember the size of it, but it's one of your typical, I'll, I'll say this in the recipe, but it's one of your typical, I want to say nine by 11 inch pans, but it's like the long. So yeah, it's in your typical Pyrex glass, long, long rectangular pan um, is what this fit it into. Don't have to butter this one because it just doesn't stick to the pan. It doesn't stick to the pan at all. Like it right out, which I love, um, after it cooled. So yeah, so you have the heat mixture, press it into the pan. Uh, I press it down with the spatula at first, and then once it's cool enough, you can press it down with your fingers to get it like nice and tight. After that, in a mixing in a mixing bowl, either with a KitchenAid or like with electric whisk things, you want to mix, mix the, or sorry, quarter cup of butter, two tablespoons of custard powder, three tablespoons of milk, and two cups of icing sugar. And you need to beat this well. Like you need to whip it until it's kind like thick and creamy, essentially. Like if you don't mix it too much, it'll be too liquidy, but you can actually whip it up so it's a little bit like the kind of custard or cream um, texture. Uh, you beat that until it's like nice and um, whipped up. Sorry, whipped up. Then you spread it over the chocolate coconut granola bit or sorry, graham base, and cover it and put it into the fridge until it's cool. Uh, the last step is, now here's the other thing where I changed my mom's recipe, is that she did two cups of chocolate, which I remember as a kid. Um, I only did one cup of chocolate for the top layer, and I thought it was perfect because it wasn't too wasn't too thick, and it broke through easier because, like, the chocolate is really thick, so you don't want it to break through. Mm -hmm. Especially if you, like, bite into a big chunk of it, it kind of breaks off weirdly, but if you have a thinness, you get, like, you clearly cut through the uh, custard and the, mm -hmm. um, the, sorry, the coconut base coconut gram base so anyway though you melt or one cup of chocolate and one tablespoon of butter in a double boiler and for anybody that doesn't have to go with double boiler this is very easy to mimic and i think we talked about this in a previous episode but you want to take a pot with some water in it and bring it up to not even a simmer you literally want it just steaming and that's it you put a bowl inside of the steaming pot but you want to make sure that the bowl is fits at form fits as well as possible 
And that's because the entire area of metal that sticks outward of the pot and the lip will get hotter than the actual base that's being heated by steam for scientific reasons I can't explain. Uh, essentially, that's how you're going to prevent burning your chocolate. So you want to have as much of the base of your bowl inside your pot covering, being covered by the inside of your pot with the mm. steam touching that. So once you have it on like super low and just have it steaming in there, you add your chocolate and butter into the uh, into the bowl. You stir it, and this will take a while to melt because it's all about the low and slow. It's just low and slow. You keep stirring it. You turn it on a podcast. You listen to Beck and Kid's buttery voice with Gummy Bear trying to talk over him and dominate a conversation. And you... And then you just keep stirring until the chocolate is mostly melted to the point where it just, again, it should be just kind of like thick and have a little maybe see a little lumps in it and just kind of stir those out. Once it's done, you pull your... Ah, shit. I was about to call Mars Van, but it's an animal bars. Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> so you pull your uh, Nanamo bar out of the uh, pan- out of the fridge. You spread your melted chocolate over it and get it as evenly as possible. This was tricky because you I have to um, try and spread the chocolate, but it cools really fast. So you have a really short window for spreading the chocolate evenly over the cold custard base, and it's solidifying, and then it'll like kind of move in big swaths instead of like thin spreading because you want to get it as evenly and thinly over the layer as possible. Yeah. So that was like the only problem I had with it, but it wasn't really a problem. It's more just like I should have been more confident with the chocolate than like dump, stir, blah. Yeah, I used to, I used to make them I bars at work. And oh yeah, like getting the chocolate on was least like the trickiest part, where you don't want it to, to pour in to the, the custard layer either. Like, you you like have to be really careful, <laughs> and you want it to be even. I thought that was like just the trickiest little bit. So what was your method for making them on mass scale though? Because like in a restaurant, I always love that making between that making regular food, doing it on a larger scale. Like different methods, so how do you pull that off? Um, well, having proper equipment really helps. Big bowls, um, assembly line, everything. You know, mm-hmm. you don't just make one Nanaimo bar and then you make another one. You make all of the bases. Usually, like it would be like eight at a time, mm-hmm. and then you make all of the middle and then all of the all at once. Sorry, I just wasn't sure because I was thinking about like, because for example, I was thinking about this with the blueberry grunt we're gonna make later. For dessert, like you can do it in a home pan, but I was also I've already modified it for work and actually have to change the process, mm-hmm. which I'll, I'll talk about, which is that's what I find interesting is that about the difference between industrial and um, normal scale. But I was curious if it was vastly making the now bars on a uh, larger scale was vastly different. So, ah, uh, here, here's my now bar history, which is interesting. Okay. So, it is a no bake dessert that has three layers. For anybody that doesn't know what an animal bar is. I'm like, I just, oh fuck, I should have started with this shit. This is, <laughs> oh god, I'm such a bad host. Actually, this wasn't intentional. It actually sucked. So, sorry about this. This is mis- mixed history, but an animal bar. I like, have no idea what an animal bar is. I'm, I'm just s- listening to the recipe like, oh, okay, all right. I have no idea what I am so fucking you. sorry for anybody listening. Thank you for sticking this far. So, an animal bar <laughs> is, um... It's actually, okay, so it's a no-bake dessert that has three layers, essentially, where it's a graham graham wafer crust with coconut chocolate, which is like a dark chocolate, kind of coconut, chewy base. Then it has like a custard filling as a second layer, and then a thin layer of chocolate, of just melted chocolate on top of it. 
This became popular after World War II, when sugar and butter became widely available again after years of rationing. Uh, it was a quick refrigerator dessert that exploded in popularity, but it required expensive pre-made goods to make. So having it was a status symbol. So when it started, it was edible oh, bling. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, that was actually, that's why food is interesting in history like that, because food doesn't have a lot of recorded history. Um, go for it. Take as many as you want. Food history is really cool because it's not, it wasn't really recorded because it was never considered an important thing. Like, oh, it's just it's stuff you eat. It wasn't a big deal. So that's why a lot of food history is murky. Um, but these were kind of a bit like later in them too. So we have a bit more about where this happened. Um, but the first version of the modern Nanaimo bar was published in Woman's Auxiliary and the Nanaimo Hospital Cookbook. The recipe most similar to current Nanaimo bars that we eat was submitted by Miss E. McDougall. I don't know where she's from. Uh, but I imagine Nanaimo. Uh, anyway, though, uh, there's an oral hit. The problem is that there's an oral history dispute over some of these origins, which is kind of what comes up with a lot of recipes, is it's through yeah. oral history. Um, but I bring this up as a, because Albertans claim they invented them, calling them smog bars. What a terrible name. Oh, I thought this was accurate to the climate in Alberta. Just like all the oil. What's it like? Smoggy here. Why Smog did they bars. name it that? Like, that's what I mean. Where I'm like, oh man, they're just good at oil. And they, should just, they should just they should like, not... drop it because the name, they should just be like, yeah, no, we didn't invent that. We, it's a horrible name. Well, that's, that, I think I think that's what, I mean, with the pot, with the spreading of the numbers. I imagine, they can't name, they don't know how to name things properly. There's Albertans can't name things well. I was going to say, though, it just, okay, if you do really want to go into, like, realistically, though, how people would uh, go with it, though, so the only people, if you want to go for widespread, like, people trying it, an animal bar sounds like a tastier thing than a smog bar, so maybe people in Alberta would kind of get it, because, like, oh, yeah, go get me a smog bar, or whatever an Alberta person sounds like, but then Nanamo bar, that sounds like, that just sounds like a delightful dessert, like, oh, like, Nanamo does, it, the city itself does sound like a dessert, oddly enough. Like, I, I think in my opinion, anyway. You want to know what a, an Albertan sounds like? Yes, tell me. Well, I want another okay, one of these. Here. <clears throat> Ready? Hi, I live in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Mm. Sorry, another note I have here, though, is that where a lot of this uh, oral dispute comes from, is that a lot of desserts have a graham coconut crust. So it's a common crust, which I think comes down to. But again, as I mentioned before, like cooking is interesting where you change a couple of ingredients and it's a different thing. Yeah. Is that okay? I don't know what the hand dance you just did was. I was trying to ask if it was okay for me to wipe my hand, my, <laughs> my chocolatey hands on this towel. <laughs> so that was Nile bars. In celebration of Canada Day, recipes are complicated. We don't know the origins, but we try. The last thing I want to touch on is just more of a general ap application thing for anybody that doesn't have a sweet tooth but wants to do some general cooking and save some ingredients. Or even just kind of like as a general how to make a very basic soup, essentially. So this isn't the most creative thing, but I think it's an important thing that anyone, can anyone should know because... It's versatile, and you just—it's a good way to not waste any food in your house or any vegetables on that. If you're, and if you, if it's important to you to, in our economy today, when like people starve in the world, you want to try to waste as little food as possible to try to minimize 
the wastage and shit like that. This is a good way to reduce that waste. Sorry, what's that look you have, Gummy Bear? Um, I just had an idea for something for later, but I can't say it out loud. Okay, cool. Do you need to write down or something? No. Okay. That's fine. And sorry, I wasn't trying to plug as a thing like, oh, people starving. Like, I mean, that's like a passion thing with me where I just think that because there's more than enough food in the world to go around everybody. So it makes me sad that so much food gets wasted. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this and talk about ways like here, here's how we can waste less food and just be less part of the problem, right? And just kind of be proactive with it too. And just because these are things I do. And if they help anybody else that wants to try to also waste less, then hopefully I help that person. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I mean. I'm not trying to do some kind of shit for world hunger, obviously. That's nothing new. Um, so this uh, stew I want to talk about, though. Uh, this is le- I call this leftover pork stew, essentially, because you can just do this with pretty much any pork. And I have two variants of it, too, because I like to make things in big batch versions, where I make it a big batch, I freeze half of it, and then I pull it out every other week, and that way I alter what I'm eating. But then... Um, you kind of pre-prepare and you cook in big batches and that way when you come home one week and you don't want to cook or you don't want to make another a meal for a plan for that, you just pull something out of the freezer, it's there. So this starts off with a post. Okay, I'm going to read the regular size for this, but I'll post the large size. It's basically doubled, essentially. Um, I'll post that when I we put this in the show notes. So it'll be, if you start off with a cup or 250 milliliters of onions, 125 of carrots and 125 of celery and then 30 milliliters of bacon fat and to be clear with this recipe too this is a very versatile recipe where if you want to alter it and do a little bit less fat or like alter the amount of things in it you just you can kind of do that you just have to adjust other little things with it it's because you can just really just do it to whatever your liking is so you saute you want to saute your vegetables in a pot of reasonable size for whatever amount you're making Add your veg after the baking grease or fat is uh, melted and sweat them, which is like just letting them kind of sizzle on a low heat until they're glassy. Once they're nice and glassy, you want to add your flour, uh, which will be about 30 to 45 milliliters, depending on how thick you want like your stews. Uh, you add your flour, stir that into your pot. It'll start sticking to the bottom, so make sure you have like a wooden spoon to scrape it off the bottom, because like a plastic spatula doesn't do the job. You need a wooden spoon to scrape a roux, a floury roux, off the bottom of a pot. Uh, same with if you're caramelizing onions or anything like that. You, while you're cooking your flour, and you want to cook your flour until it's about light brown in roux uh, color, you crisp up your, you want to be crisping up your bacon in the oven. Or your well, you cook off your pork. You can do whatever pork you want because you can do this with ham and like any other kind of pork too. But I like doing the bacon because bacon makes every vegetable versatile because everything tastes good with bacon. So you throw as many vegetables in there as you want, and it all tastes delicious. Um, but essentially, you I buy thick bacon, and this is actually a thing I noticed with looking online because this is what I love about shopping online. It's easier to compare prices on like a mathematical scale. What I'm finding is that you can find there's a lot of packets of extra thick cut bacon that have a larger quantity of meat within them for a say the same or lower price than something else. It's just packaged differently and how it's displayed in the store. So if anybody wants to save money on bacon um, in general and get like more meat for your buck, uh, look for thicker cut bacon. Uh, there's not all all of them. Obviously, some are still overpriced, but if you look for thicker cuts bacon, they're usually a more a, a more pro, a more quantity for your buck. Sorry, that's a random shopping thing I've noticed. 
you crispier your bacon up in the oven and you want to get your bacon really crispy because when you add it to your soup, it'll become more soggy and stuff from the liquid itself eventually. So you really do want to get it as crispy as possible because um, that'll also kind of just make it more flavorful. So the so after you've crisped your bacon, you want to do this in your oven between 400 and 375 Fahrenheit. Like 375 will be more of a low and slow thing. If you have a convection oven, you can do it at 350. Because convection, it's not an exact science, but the rule of thumb is about 25 degrees less uh, for Fahrenheit. Um, the next step after that, after your roux is nice and brown and your uh, bacon is crispy, I missed a step. What? Something you should have for prepared, but you can also do it with plain water, is if you have stock. So if you have any leftover meat stock of any kind, because again, pretty much everything goes with bacon, you take your meat stock with water, and or with your water base, and you throw that into your root pot. The amount of liquid you want for a recipe of this size is about two liters. You add your stock and water to deglaze the flour from your pot, as it's like your perfect golden brown. And then you want to stir like crazy to break up the lumps of flour and mix it into the sauce as much as possible. This will cause a chemical reaction. And this is when essentially, this is what thickens up sauces in a natural way with just cooking up fat and flour is that when you mix some, mix the, mix a liquid with it, um, with these flour lumps um, at a different temperature, it breaks up a lot easier and it creates, it causes it to thicken up and expand. Uh, I'm obviously not explaining that in a very scientific way. But that's the uh, that's the process from what it's how it's been explained to me. So the ideal temperature for your stock is warm or cold, but like hot's fine too. Just stir really aggressively to break get all your lumps out. Um, at this point, when you've got your stock in your pot with all your like vegetable, you want to chop up your bacon crisp up, throw that with your stock. And here's where you can add alternate stuff if you want, because so carrots, celery, and onions are very fibrous, so they take a while to chew and get like a bit soft. So that's why you saute them first. But if you want to add in like zucchini, which is what I did, because I bought it when I was on sale and didn't have anywhere to use it up. I hate zucchini still, but Wait. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to use it up. It was on sale and I'm pragmatic and I needed a vegetable and it was cheap and even <laughs> if it's gross, I was like, I knew I was going to be making a leftover bacon soup because bacon makes everything taste tolerable. But let's be clear, <laughs> zucchini sucks. So put zucchini in there. And again, like if you put zucchini from the beginning, it'll be soggy. It'll be soggier than old people food. So you want to so you want to make sure that you like add that in later. And this is also a time if you want to bulk it out with potatoes, like chop up the potatoes in a small dice. Sorry, I didn't clarify this either, but all your vegetables should be a medium to small dice, roughly. In that cage. If you don't know what that means, Google it because I can't describe it visibly. So, because it's kind of every you ask everyone has a different reason, so just like Google it and they'll give you a general idea. But small, medium dice in your mind, this is what these cook times are for. You want to simmer all your vegetables, like with your liquid in the pot and all that, for maybe five to ten minutes with your bacon and all that to get the flavors in. And that'd be with your like small, small, medium diced potatoes, your zucchini or your disgusting zucchini or whatever else you want to add into the pot. You can also throw in herbs and spices at that point, too. Fuck, I missed the steps as well. Sorry, I messed up. When you are sauteing your veg in the very beginning, put a little bit of salt in there. The salt helps. The salt helps uh, break, extract the liquid out of the vegetables and kind of help steam them and stuff like that and pull the flavor out, which is not actually how that works. I'm kidding. How salt actually <laughs> how salt actually works is on your tongue is it opens up flavor receptors in your tongue, so it makes it so that you taste more. Uh, but as part of a cooking process, it does extract more liquid out of vegetables because that's what salt does chemically with things. 
So you just do a little pinch of seasoning in the very beginning when you're sauteing stuff, then you don't add more seasoning until all your stuff is in the pot and you want to cook it for a little bit because then the salt will melt, it'll kind of develop and get moved or put, like mixed around with everything. And don't forget too that the bacon will also be salty because bacon is cured meat. So that'll also have like, a, that'll also add a bit of salt to it. So that's why you want to salt season at the very end with whatever chemicals you want in there too. I'm sorry, I should, sorry, I meant herbs. Herbs and spices is what I meant. Bay leaf? Bay leaf. If you want, I know I forgot the bay leaf in the Nanimal bar. <laughs> Didn't have enough bay leaf. But yes, you can put bay leaf in and see the massive impact that your bay leaf makes in your stew. It'll be... So if you basically make a stew with bay leaf, you rise up in cooking skill up there to that of the gods and how mm -hmm. your, your food will taste. It'll be that of quality for the gods, the people that make Ferrero Rocher's. But if... And that's only because of those commercials. Because if I believe every commercial I've ever seen in my life, and so what I've led to believe is that Forever Shays literally were given to us by the gods. And I have never like backed up, looked up that fact to see if it's true or not. So I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. So we can get it clear. Sorry, I'm getting off track here. Uh, but that aside though, then yeah, so you add your second seasoning. If it's fresh herbs, you only want to be simmering them in your soup for about five minutes. But if it's like dried herbs, you want to do maybe 10 to 15 just because it takes longer to kind of like let them ease like kind of let or release that out or maybe even oh shit no oh maybe even add your dried herbs at the beginning when you're sauteing everything like when you're sauteing everything in your roux that's when you want to add your dried herbs if you use those but again that depends on how like again how you again how much herbs you're throwing or dry dried like spices you're putting in there or how you prefer that because some people don't like that at all uh, but that's what I'm saying. This recipe is very customizable. It's a very general recipe that will just produce, uh, produce edible food that won't taste too bad because it has bacon in it. Um, and these are all basic ingredients that everybody can get. So once you've done that and you've cooked out your soup for 10 minutes, the soup, you can enjoy it with tasty bread. Check out last week's episode for a dope bread recipe. And yes, I already said here how versatile it is, and I can add a lot of different stuff into it. Uh, the bacon fat roux makes it richer, uh, but it'll also be that you don't need... So if you are doing any kind of recipe with bacon fat in it and you're subbing that out for butter, do less bacon fat because bacon fat... I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but bacon fat is like more liquidy than butter is when it's melted. Mm -hmm. So if you have like half a cup of bacon fat and half a cup of flour... Or sorry, half a cup of bacon fat and half a cup of butter and you make two different roux of them... Less viscous. Yeah, it's less viscous and it's more liquidy. And more of it will separate a bit more and have that like kind of be on the top of your stew. So whenever you're using bacon fat for any kind of roux substitute, do like less bacon fat than you do fat. I thought was a no, no, no worth mentioning. But then obviously you save your, render your bacon fat through a thin sieve that you got from crisping up your extra thick bacon and save that bacon fat for another recipe because you can put that in other stuff. You can saute your veg in it and do other stuff with it, which we'll always talk about because Let's try not to waste stuff that comes from our food. Save the bacon fat for perpetuating the cycle of bacon consumption. <laughs> and that's the uh, last bit I have here on uh, Captain's Kitchen. Food for food for thought, gummy bear. Pun half intended. Uh, <laughs> for well, the recipes I just belted out. Well, that sounds good. Have you? So what? Not sampling it. Well, no, we can't afford. We told we told everybody we can't afford a soup canister. We can't afford a soup station yet. So the first GoFundMe mm -hmm. we make will be about a soup canning station. 
After that, it'll be acquire a hype man to sing Captain Getting Millionaire in the background. <laughs> After that, jacuzzi filled with poutine. Yeah. I'm kidding, I hate poutine. So after that. And you're gonna say that on the Can- Canadian Oh my god, on the <laughs> Canada Day episode, you're gonna say that. I also don't like really? I, don't, I also don't like I don't like I also don't like hockey and mac and cheese. It doesn't make me a bad Canadian. It just makes me not a stereotypical one. How dare you shame me? Or how dare you food shame me? I've 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 offended Consider you. Consider yourself food shamed. You've 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 cracked my snowflake arm and my am, safe space. I'm not I'm offended broken. that you don't like it. I'm just offended that you would utter those words on the Canada Day episode. Stop policing my language, Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Alright, I'm out. I'm out. Goodbye. Okay, I love Okay, come on. So we're just jokes, just jokes. Just jokes. <laughs> I Okay, obviously, let's be clear here. Like, okay, I don't hate poutine. I just like crispy fries or soggy ones is my stance on it. That can be a food fight for another day. It will be. It will be. I, I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only Canadian that doesn't like poutine. I know you're not. <laughs> Many others don't. I know. Although but the, we'll still have a food fight over it. We will. Again, I'm going to literally throw well, here's, like, perfectly can, cooked hot gravy. Well, can it be? Do it. I'll catch it in my mouth and <laughs> oh, Ew. gargle it. Gross. But uh, what can I say? I'm a, what can I say? I'm a show off. So my point though, here's here's I'll, I'll add in some poutine just so we don't end it on a super controversial note. I know, I know. Sorry, speaking this up. I understand what's good about poutine. I like potatoes. I like gravy. I like cheese. All together, it makes sense why they would go together. I don't like soggy fries. Okay, I didn't mean to open up a can of worms. I was just making a joke. You mean ladle out a ladle gravy? A ladle of... I didn't mean to ladle out some gravy on him. Ladle out some truth on me? Oh shit, man. This is actually this longer than we already meant for it to be. Okay, so <laughs> thank you for listening this long. I am Thanks so sorry. Listening. I'm so sorry a lot of this was rambling. This was kind of me fucking up. This is me shooting the bed as a captain. This is like... I fucked up because I forgot. Hey, we're all here to have a good time. I didn't look at my work week properly, and this is where it like, came messed up. And the other thing, too, is that we're doing a recording next week with our friend and art sponsor, QVU. Um, we're doing this that summer special. We have to do that early too because he's leaving in the middle of July, and that's when we'd be launching the episode. So this yeah. is all us trying to getting ahead. Well, just doing content for those times in the time frame we have with me balancing my regular work and this podcast, which I still love. So thank you, anybody, to listen to this episode, and please tune in to at sundown or STP or Canada Canadian Podcast at sundown, which we'll record later tonight. Any uh, closing thoughts, Gummy or Quartermaster Gummy Bear? <laughs> Thanks for listening, and happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day. If you like poutine, that's okay. If you don't like poutine, I respect you more. Have a... a, a Does that mean you don't... You respect me less because I like something? Oh, man, we... I don't even know. I we don't, gotta stop talking about I was just making a it's joke. Over. I was just making Goodbye. a joke. Bye. Just joking. Nobody take it seriously. <laughs> don't be afraid. Be aware. Have a good Canada Day. Go enjoy some poutine. Some Bye. butter tarts, some now bars, beaver tails, whatever you like. If you're Canadian, you eat food. You love food, eat it, enjoy, happy Canada Day. We love you all. We love anybody that wants to listen to us. We love everyone that doesn't want to listen to us. No Canada. Couple of fights, you were nearly blinded. Peace out. Yelling at the wheel won't do much good. Thanks again to anyone who listened to our podcast today. If you'd like to know more about what we talked about, sources are in the description. 
And if you'd like to contact us, ask questions, or give feedback or anything, you can email us at canadianpiratecast at gmail.com or follow Beckham Kid on Facebook and Beckham underscore Kid on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page for Canadian Pirate Cast. We appreciate anyone taking the time to talk to us, and that's all in the description. Bye!